Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. of the Night Report Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Broadbent. Joining me once again is my co-host, Richie Schneiderite. Uh, Rutgers picks up its first Big Ten victory of the season on the hardwood. We'll talk about that. Um, we'll allude to a big-time commitment for one of Rutgers' sporting programs. Um, that's just a little tease. But let's uh, let's talk Rutgers basketball. Um, Rutgers beat Indiana, uh, a.k.a. Rutgers' stepson, uh, 66-57. to I believe that makes Rutgers... Nine uh, and two in its last 11 matchups with Indiana. Um, Rutgers has totally owned the state of Indiana recently. Uh, they've obviously beaten Purdue twice when they've been number one in the country the last two years. Um, and I'm glad that tradition has kept up uh, because this is a win that Rutgers desperately needed. Uh, really, both teams desperately needed. But Rutgers, um, given that both are like similarly uh, ranked in the net, despite the fact that Indiana came into this game 11 and four and Rutgers uh, nine and six. Um, but Rutgers really needed this to have any kind of hope for a postseason berth. And I'm not talking about MCAA tournament. I'm talking about uh, the NIT at this point. Um, and Rutgers showed up. This is a game that it just felt more like a classic Steve Peichel team in terms of, you know, they were playing with high effort they were rebounding. They were playing incredible defense. Um, just talk about how you thought the team played last night in general. Yeah. I mean, um, I thought they they definitely looked better than the past two games. I think there's no secret there. But uh, I would say this game is basically a definition of a win is a win. Like, you can't overanalyze it too much. Although, there was a lot of ugliness. Um, Both sides just couldn't shoot the ball. Um, Rutgers continues to struggle to put the ball in the rim from from layup lines. Like, I don't know, maybe practice a couple of them. Because, like, um, their layups were, what was it yesterday? I saw it before, too. They were nine of twenty-one. It's still not good, like by any means. Um, they're just smoking like easy layups too. Um, three pointers they continue to struggle with, but again, like I said, a win is a win. Um, they didn't make a lot of their free throws, but they made enough to get the win, which is nice. Um, good defense, really good rebounding yesterday, which which was very helpful in the victory. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, couple double-digit scores. I, I I thought it was a good game. I didn't think it was anything crazy. Um, I, I don't want to say they, I'm not going to say they got lucky, but like Indiana just flat out stinks. Like I thought Rutgers couldn't run an offense. They can't run an offense. Shit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, a lot of fouls, a lot of turnovers. Um, it, it was just a good game and you saw Austin Williams kind of start to emerge a little more too, which is good for Rutgers. Um, they need a veteran. Pykel's said it time and time again. College basketball is getting older and older. It's because people are staying longer and longer now between the COVID year, between NIL, between this and that. Um, and, and you needed some veterans on this team to, to help turn things around. And Austin Williams has kind of been that little spark that they needed. Um, Jermichael Davis had a pretty good game. Watt Mag continues to be good. Andre Hyatt continues to just be Andre Hyatt, which is fine. If you can get double digits out of him every game, that's, that's great. Um, and, and we saw Quiff at times look better. Um, I know you mentioned it pre-podcast, but like the alley-oop has kind of returned a little bit. Um, but he's still continuing to struggle offensively. Um, but on the defensive end too, he had a pretty good game, five blocks. Um, 
overall, I thought it was just it was a typical Rutgers defensive performance, and it won them the game, and that's all that really matters in the end. Yeah, that's totally valid. Um, I thought one big change that was me- much needed is that Rutgers is able to get to the line way more than it had in uh, recent games. So if you're if you're just talking about high major opponents Rutgers has faced this year, uh, Rutgers is averaging like 14 trips to the line per game against its high major opponents. Last night, it got to the line 28 times and made 19. Mm-hmm. So getting to the line, you know, fighting through contact, you know, we're not making a ton of our layups, but when you can actually yeah. convert some of those missed layups into uh, free throw opportunities, that always helps. Mm-hmm. Um, Indiana, I don't think I've ever seen a team shoot as poorly from the line as they did. They went four for 15 last night, which right around 27% from the line as a team. Now, only four guys took a free throw attempt. Um, so maybe that explains it a bit, but I, I've never seen anything like that. Um, talk about the rebounding. I don't know if it's because Jay Young was in the house. Maybe the team was feeling inspired. <laughs> uh, but Rutgers had 19 offensive rebounds on the night, which was its highest total against the high major team this year. 50, or 32 rebounds total. Um, created a lot of second chance uh, basket opportunities. Um, down the stretch, uh, you saw... You know, a team like Seton Hall fight back. You know, Rutgers was up by like, I want to say like 15 points late in the the second half. And then they were able to just kind of chip away at that lead because, you know, they were fouling. Rutgers was making its free throws. Uh, This was an example of the opposite. Rutgers was hitting its free throws late, which is always huge because it kills the momentum. Despite Indiana was, you know, hitting some clutch threes late in the the second half. Yeah. Um, I thought Cliff had one of his better defensive performances of the year. Um, he had 11 rebounds, five blocks, but wasn't really doing a whole lot on the offensive side of things. Um, I think we're starting to continue to see the emergence of Mott Mag as an offensive player. If you just oh, yeah. look at his numbers, you know, he was four for 12 from the field, one for five from the three-point line. But I thought he played a better offensive game than that. I thought he got a lot of good shots and hit some tough shots as well. Um, they're going to need to really lean on a couple guys uh, offensively. And it seems like it's been Austin Williams and Moat Mag the last two games, the last few games. And what, what an emergence it's been for Austin Williams. Like, obviously he's coming off an injury. He's a seventh year college basketball player. And you, you know, you mentioned it before. Pike was talking about how college basketball is, is about experience and Austin Williams has it in spades. Mm -hmm. Um, we need a guy like him to continue to to provide that kind of, you know, go get a bucket type energy because he's really one of the only guys who can back a guy down and hit yeah. a tough shot, whether it be a layup or, you know, a turnaround in the paint. He, he was probably our most efficient basketball player last night. And offensively, he was five for nine shooting, scored 10 points. He, they called him for a couple back-to-back ticky-tack fouls in the first half, so he had to sit for a bit. Um, but Austin Williams was... A guy who, you know, I said multiple times, thank God for Austin Williams last night because he uh, he was really the guy who held this team together in the first half, especially. Yeah, I, I do have to question a little bit um, why they didn't play him more. Because, like, if you look at the beginning of the season, he had 27 minutes against Princeton and seven, what am I looking at? Seven, one, and two. Then he had uh, 25 minutes against Illinois. He had nine, three, and four. Like, he was putting up decent numbers, and then he just went <laughs> off kind of just stopped playing them. And then four minutes versus Mississippi State, 12 minutes Stonehill, 12 minutes Ohio State. And then all of a sudden Iowa came and they're like, hey, we got to switch it up again. 
He comes in and gets 14 and four. Yesterday he gets 10, 6, 1, 1, 2. Like that's it's a crazy good stat line. Yeah, um, yep. he just he just fills up the box score. He's a good defender. He's a good rebounder. Um, he's just a good overall player, and he's a veteran. You need that veteran presence out there, especially when a lot of the young guys are struggling um, to do much of anything. Like if you like, even Derek Simpson had a, like minus the the halftime shot. He had a really bad game. So you need someone yeah, to step take it the up. halftime shot out of it. He was uh, one for twelve shooting and. Thankfully, yeah. he got to the line the most of the team. He got to the free throw line seven times and hit five of them. So that's yeah, it's kind of what you want to see if you're going to take a lot of shots. You need to get to the line. So yeah, he's just there's too many guys on this team that are too inconsistent, and that's yep. where an Austin Williams helps because he's he's been pretty consistent over the past couple of games. Um, Andre Hyatt pretty consistent. Uh, Mawat Mag has been relatively consistent, and you need him to step up a little more too offensively because, like you said, they they need someone to be that guy, and Austin Williams. Maybe not that guy, but he could be that second tier guy for you and help out from here, whether it be rebounding, whether it be scoring, whether it be playing defense. Um, the, my one pet peeve is I think you have to switch the lineup one more time. Yeah. Um, I said this last podcast. I think Jermichael Davis has to start next to Austin Williams. I think Derek Simpson off the bench could be that little spark plug. I know Pike will probably thinks Jermichael could be that Jacob Young's type spark plug, which is fine. But mm-hmm. I think Derek off the bench just he just plays better when he, I think he's off the bench for the most part too, not just this yeah. season, but looking at last season as well. Um, and then honestly, you got to find some bench players. This is, has been a repetitive thing for Rutgers over the past couple seasons. I don't know if you remember when they played Notre Dame um, in the playing game, what was it? Two years ago. And then yep. the, year, the game before that, I think the bench had like a total of two points between those two games. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that they need some kind of produ- productivity out of the bench. Um, Noah Fernandes, a veteran you would hope would step up a little, Oscar, I, I, I know everyone loves Oscar. He's a great veteran to have on a team just from a locker room standpoint, but I, I need something out of him. Um, Gavin Griffiths is just it's kind of lost mentally, I guess. It just seems like he's just not confident. Like it's lost confidence, I should say. I should say. Um, and Wolfolk. Wolfolk has regressed completely. So you need Emmanuel Ogbol to come out there and just see if he could do anything, I guess, at this point. Yeah, I mean, Ogbol, it sounds win, but it sound, like, yeah, I mean, it it wasn't that impressive of a win. Like Indiana's, we, we said going into the pod, is not a good team. Um, Rutgers shot thirty two percent from the field last night, twenty two uh, twenty three percent from the from three. I mean, if you just look at how we played against high majors, Rutgers hasn't shot over you know forty two percent from the field against any of its high major opponents this year. <clears throat> I think it's shot above. <clears throat> Uh, 35% from three one time against a high major, and that was against Seton Hall. Like, mm-hmm. we are having serious. Well, we also shot 46% from three against Illinois, but we shot 33% from the field overall in that game, which is a bizarre world game. But regardless, we're just having trouble scoring against legit teams mm-hmm. because we're not, we're a pretty flawed team offensively, especially like. You know, in years past, we had these easy button plays, whether it be Cliff Lobs, um, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, Ron and Geo ISO stuff. They were a lot better at ISO ball than anybody on the team currently. Um, you had Cam, who, if you gave him, if you, if you got Cam an open look, he was going to hit it about half the time. It was the times he struggled was when he had to do this whole, like, you know, mm-hmm. back down shimmy kind of game. Where, yeah. you know, he wasn't getting a clean look. But when he got a clean look, he was hitting it half the time. And, 
you know, as much as we, you know, have poo-pooed on Paul, Paul was pretty good at hitting shots around the rim. He used his size pretty effectively inside the key. Now, we don't really have those easy button shots because we're a small team. If you look at our guards, J. Michael Davis, small. Derek Simpson, small. Uh, Fernandes, small. The only big guard we currently really have is Austin Williams, and you could call Andre Hyde a guard, too. I'd see him more as a wing. Um, yeah. So you see what happens when you have a guard with size who can hit a shot you know, from six feet away consistently, and that's Austin Williams. So that's, in my opinion, you got to start him the rest of the season because he gives you of one of the few easy button op- options on offense that you have. And you're starting mm-hmm. to see Mwat Mag kind of develop into that, too, where he's become a better shooter. He is probably our best mm-hmm. mid-range shooter on the team. Um, and then you see, you know, some of our shorter guards really struggling shooting. Like, Michael Davis, he's one of our somehow better players around the rim, which you wouldn't expect for a guy who's probably 5'11". Yeah. But Derek Simpson's struggling. Um, Fernandes obviously having an extended struggle. Um, so, Austin Williams, I think, is the big revelation of the last few games. I think he needs to be the starter at uh, one of the guard spots the rest of the season. Um, and I hope we're able to find some way to get Gavin Griffiths some some open looks. Like, if you just even treated him yeah. like kind of like the Oscar Palmquist of last year, where Oscar just kind of hung out in the corner and you kicked it out to him. And he was, mm-hmm. Oscar's pretty good when he's just able to, to line up uh, in the corner for a three. Spot up. Yeah. And he's just spotting up. Yeah. And maybe that's what you need to, you just need to get like some, you just need to see some shots fall for Gavin because I think mm-hmm. he's just he's he's pressing a lot and he was able to press against a team like Boston University and it worked. But when you know he's having the ball stripped from him in the lane, when he's making you know these you know passes that have no chance of working out, when you know he's taking these tough fallaway shots, like just get him some easy easy looks in the corner, um, get that confidence back, and then he could kind yeah. of progress from there but right now it seems like nothing's really working for him and i think that's kind of on the coaching staff to set him up to be in a position to succeed um mm-hmm. with at least one or two things whether I, I think a corner if you just line him up in the corner and get him some some spot up threes i think that would be the, the best option in my opinion but yeah no you got you got to set him up for for success and you're, you're really not at the moment um now on top of that i think his confidence is broken completely and that, that happens with freshmen from, from time to time but for a kid that was a top 20 ranked kid, like I, I kind of need you to step up a little more. I need you to play better offense. I need you to set your feet when you're shooting. Stop taking these off balance shots. Um, and I mean, it's, it's no secret, like he's struggling and you see the staff kind of, which is interesting to me because Tycho is pretty well known for letting his guys play through, um, through like slumps like this. Like I know we've seen Cam, we've seen Paul, like they've, he's given them a long leash. Griffiths, it's a little different, I feel like. And he's like already down to 10 minutes yesterday. Like, I'm sorry, five minutes yesterday. Yep. As, as soon as he struggles, like, he just takes him out right away. Um, whereas, like, in the past, he's like, these guys play through stuff. So it's it's definitely intriguing. And, and I get it, obviously. Like, every coach has their own style. But for a guy that's been notorious for, I shouldn't say notorious, for notable for letting his guys play through slumps, he's, he's not letting Griffiths really play through it. Um, but I do think you have to set him up more. I think you have to just literally just spot him up, let him get one shot in, and then the confidence just changes completely. We've seen it with Paul last year. Paul would struggle mightily, 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 and then all of a sudden he'd hit this like and one basket, and then all of a sudden it's like a flip of a switch, and he's just his confidence is back. He's this man's dropping a near triple double, mm-hmm. and it's it's all it's all confidence based, honestly, for a lot of these players, and that's a that's the big um, question mark with Griffiths right now. But I, I also didn't realize Rutgers went. 
one of eight in their last field goals, and their last field goal was at the 440 mark in the second half. I didn't even I didn't click with me until I just saw the the trend thing right here. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why I think this is a you know it's a nine point win, but it didn't really feel like one. Like Rutgers was playing yeah. just solid defense, but they couldn't they didn't have many instances where that defense led to you know shots. Like we had so many times where we would either pull back on in transition to let the defense set or you know it would be like a, a two on one or a three on two and like Rutgers wouldn't even get like you know either they would miss the layup or they wouldn't even be able to get a shot off. Um this team despite it being a really good win um at home for a crowd that you know on yeah. a good weather night that would have been eight thousand strong. Mm-hmm. Um that's the other thing too. Crowd was not there. Yep. Which I totally understand. Like we yeah, all know yeah. anybody who's who's been to enough games or went to Rutgers knows when it's raining, the Raritan's gonna flood and eighteen mm-hmm. is gonna be a nightmare. So most people I assume have a pretty serious uh commute to get to a game and you might not get home in that situation. Or yeah. you might, you know, not be able to get there safely. So I totally understand people who didn't go to the game last night. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah. uh, Pike did have some words of encouragement for Gavin in the post game talking about how he knows he's going to be a great player. And this is just fighting through freshman struggles and everybody deals with them. doesn't matter how high of a recruit you are or how unheralded you are as a recruit. You're going to hit a freshman wall at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Gavin, it's just, you got to, you know, you, you can't give up on him. I don't think Pike will, but I, to kind of your point of playing through your struggles, like, you can play through your struggles in the non-conference, you know, against shitty teams. You know, you turn over the ball three straight possessions against a team like uh, Long Island. You know, mm-hmm. you can live with that. But when those mistakes keep happening against the Big Ten opponents and you're getting to a bit of a point of crunch time in the season, you can't really let guys play through those anymore because it could legitimately cost you a game. So it's a tough balancing act for Pike. Mm-hmm. He's been pretty good at doing it so i trust them uh to kind of figure out a way to to get gavin right uh, but right now he's struggling and it's a it's a bummer because i think we all thought he'd have a pretty huge impact on this uh this season yeah well the nice thing is you get five days off before your next game so you can hopefully figure some things out in practice um it is an away game it's at michigan state it's not going to be easy yeah. by any means um, I think they're they're number twenty seven in the net right now. Um, for reference, Rutgers is ninety two. They were ninety four yesterday before the win. Um, Indiana, for again for reference, was ninety eight. Now they're at one hundred three. Um, so, I mean, it's it's going to be a tough run. Michigan State, Nebraska, at Illinois, Purdue. Like it's it's a tough four game span, and it it could potentially get ugly. But we'll we'll wait and see. That's why they play the games. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Nebraska, if you don't know, is there those of you listening out there is now thirteen and three on the season mm-hmm. uh, after knocking off number one Purdue last night. Um, Michigan State, like you said, is in the you know the mid twenties in net. Uh, Illinois, we already lost two once this season. They obviously mm-hmm. lost one of their top guards due to some pretty awful uh, allegations at the moment. Um, this is probably the toughest stretch of the season. Uh, mm-hmm. In terms of just looking at like a four game sample, um, I guess one of the only kind of caveats is Rutgers has played Michigan State well in the past. They never won at the Breslin Center, so you got to hope you can break that streak. 
Nebraska's uh, all all of Nebraska's losses have come on the road um, by double digits. So that's one thing I guess you can hang your hat on is if Rutgers has a crazy crowd, it might be able to knock Nebraska out of that game. Yeah, and Rutgers has played Purdue well historically. Now this is a uh, probably Purdue's best team uh, in the Steve Peichel era versus mm-hmm. one of the you know. In terms of recent memory, at least, uh, Peichel's worst team in the, probably the last five years. So I don't think you could just bank on a win against Purdue. But, you know, they played them tough. But it is a very difficult stretch. And uh, you couldn't go into that stretch with another loss um, because then the season probably gets away from you. So that's in part why Indiana was such a huge win. Because not only does it keep you alive, but it also might build some positive momentum and vibes going into a really difficult stretch. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Purdue, like Zach Eady's playing himself into a draft pick, which is, yeah. I didn't think was really possible for someone that slow, but he's, he's really played really well this year. Um, like you said, they're built really well. Uh, Illinois, I don't really know what to expect. I still think they're a good team at the end of the day. So that's going to be tough. I think that one's on the road too, right? Uh, uh Illinois is on the road. Yep. Yeah. So that doesn't make yep. things easier. And Nebraska, like you just said, maybe home crowd advantage could help. And Michigan State on Sunday, and they're not. It's Tom Izzo at the end of the day. He's no matter who's on his roster, he's always going to have a good team. So yep. definitely going to be interesting. Um, going back to Indiana, wins a win. Like I said, not pretty. Got it done. It is what it is. Um, yeah, Indiana team stinks though, man. They are they are bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. Projected lottery pick or tw- top twenty pick in Kel Kel Ware and Mackenzie Mabako's projected NBA draft pick. You should be a lot better. Yeah, and last night's game was also super important because I think Rutgers had lost five straight games or four, four or five straight games in the Big Ten uh, at home, which mm-hmm. for the longest time, like there were years where Rutgers would lose like one game at home in the, the course of a season. So yeah. for that home field advantage, home court advantage to kind of shrink Take a bit, uh, at yeah. least perception wise, wasn't something you want to kind of have out there. You, you want people to be scared coming in. You know, you, you've heard all the anecdotes from different players, like, you know, Hunter Dickinson talking about how the gym's cursed and how, yeah. you know, Jordan Bohannon talking about, you know, how, you know, how hard it is to play. You want those, those kind of ghost stories to be out there about teams and you want the results to be there too. Um, yeah. You know, you lose five, six straight games at home and then, the uh, the shine comes off a little bit, so you need to mm-hmm. kind of restore that. Um, Hear me out. Conspiracy theory. Um, they're doing this on purpose so that next year they can get yeah, better teams to schedule out a conference. Mm. So that makes sense. Rope-a-dope. Yeah, yeah, I, I like it, yeah. Get, get them in here. It's like, hey, look, it's it's pretty easy to play here. Come on, come on in. And they all come in, and it's like Ace Valley and Dylan Harper, and it's like, oh, shit, never mind. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, we didn't talk about the Xavier Johnson thing too. That was a definitely an interesting one. Yeah, that was uh so Xavier Johnson, I think he's a fifth or sixth year senior. Um veteran. So he shouldn't be doing He's a veteran. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's been a guy who has kind of just been a shithead his whole career. Um with you know with just kind of like exaggerating foul. I think he was the guy who uh Paul punched a couple years ago at Indiana. I believe so. Um so just in general, he's been a guy who's just caused a lot of issues for Rutgers. Um, 
I think it was in the the second half. Uh, uh, Wolfhawk is setting a screen, and Xavier Johnson pretended to fight through it, but he literally like grabbed his junk, grabbed <laughs> grabbed his junk, and like pulled. Yeah, and sus. and Antoine Wolfhawk responded by pushing him, and that's where the foul call happened, and so. They started to to go to the review for a flagrant, and I was like, "Come on, that wasn't that bad." Like, mm-hmm. he shoved him, sure, but it wasn't to the head neck area. Like, this shouldn't be like a flagrant on 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 Antoine Wolfolk. Mm-hmm. And they come back and they give Xavier Johnson a flagrant two, something that I've I don't think I've ever seen before, where they go to review for a flagrant on a foul call, and you, you assume it's on the guy they called a foul on, not necessarily the guy that you know, was fouled. Um, but yeah, he, uh, he rung the bell down there and he got yeah. ejected for it. Um, yeah. and I didn't see it in real time, but when you slow it down, uh, there, I saw a screenshot on Twitter. I don't remember who posted it, but it is clear as day what he was doing. And that, oh, that's yeah. just unacceptable. You don't do that in any sport. He's essentially Dylan Brooks, Draymond Green, any of those head cases, any NBA, um, Grayson yep. Allen. I don't know. You can just, the list goes on. Xavier Johnson's right there with all of them. So, Yep. Maybe it's not tripping people constantly, nonstop, but it's pretty bad. Yep. Yep. Shitty move. Um, yep. Glad he got ejected and, you know, plays stupid games. He wins stupid prizes. So definitely deserved it. And uh, I think that's, is that the last time Rutgers will play Indiana in, uh, in his career? Well, yeah. yeah, in his career. Yeah. Unless, unless they tournament, I guess. Yeah. Unless they meet up in the Big Ten tournament, that'll be Avoir. Mm-hmm. To uh, Mr. Xavier Johnson, I will not miss seeing you on the court. Um, yeah, yep. That's it. All right, uh, that's kind of all I got on basketball. Let's talk some recruiting yeah. stuff. Um, Do we start with football or that other one? Let's uh, start with football. Okay. So, what's going on in the football recruiting front right now? Um, so they're going to try to host a couple transfer portal guys this weekend again. Uh, they went two of two last weekend with Austin Briggs and why is his name so Malcolm Ray slipping my mind for a second. Um, they definitely want an offensive lineman, so we know two that have we've already confirmed two on our boards that have reached. Rutgers has reached out to and Kamar Bell from Florida Atlantic actually started his career at Auburn before going to Florida Atlantic. Six three, three hundred twenty pound offensive guard. Uh, so he's something someone to keep an eye on. Uh, the other one, I forget his name again. It's uh, Jakiah Leftwich. He is from Georgia Tech. Now, it's it's tough. Like Rutgers has definitely reached out, but I'm being told that he's probably going to stay down south, closer to his home. Uh, he's he originally local, from Georgia. Yeah, he's a local kid yeah. from Georgia. If George, I don't think Georgia offers, but you never know because they're weird. They'll probably just offer late if anything. Um, he's one of those kids that's actually tweeting out his offers too, which is nice. Uh, so far he has UNC, Boston College. Uh, who are the other two? There's two other ones. I think Illinois was one. Um, he's got two others, but regardless, he chose Georgia Tech out of high school over several SEC offers, uh, Power Five, other Power Five offers. So for him to do that and stay home, it sounds like according to people I've talked to, he's still going to stay close to home. We'll see what happens there. Uh, they definitely want to get more people on campus. They want to get a tight end on campus. There's still really no names that are like popping out so far. They're still working out details. These guys really don't schedule their official visits until like maybe the night before, the day before, sometimes even. Um, 
it's more so reaching out to people and seeing if they have the interest is reciprocated. If it is, then it's like, okay, let's, let's take it to the next step. Here's our tight ends coach. Like, hey, meet up here, do a Zoom call with him or whatever. Um, and then it's like, okay, like, you, do you want to come visit? Oh, you do? Okay, cool. Let's schedule that. And it's, it, it takes time for these things, but definitely something to monitor. Um, oh, I forgot the one offensive lineman in Richie Leonard. Um, he was a Cocoa, Cocoa. I don't I think that's how you pronounce it. Coco. Uh, Coco. Yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense. It's early. It's early in the morning. Um, <laughs> Coco, Florida prospect. Rutgers offered back from the 2020 class. Um, some of you might remember David Rowe was a Coco, Florida prospect. Um, played defensive back at Rutgers, blah, blah, blah. But uh, he definitely is very – he was interested in Rutgers out of high school. He wanted to – I think he made a trip to campus. He's very big on academics. Um, played for Florida. Uh, so it, it could be a name to watch, but the fact that he was in, I think he started 12 games for Florida. It's, it's going to be tough for him because I feel like they're going to, these guys have like so much interest, especially when they start games at the power five level. Yep. Um, so it, it, it's someone to watch too. Uh, but yeah, no, they want offensive linemen and they want a tight end. And that's, that's pretty much what they're going to wrap it up with. They've peaked into other defensive tackles and defensive linemen, but I don't think that's going to happen for the most part could happen just not going to say it's definitely going to happen so uh that's that's what we're kind of waiting on some names to pop up for uh visitors but we might not confirm those until like like last week we didn't really know anybody until until they committed like we oh i should say that we knew them we weren't posting them until they committed yeah the staff is very 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 secretive <laughs> about these kind of visitors um yeah just to kind of let you in that's a funny. little behind the scenes yeah. like We've known the guys that the staff has asked us not to say has visited um, because they didn't end up at Rutgers. It's it's a perception thing, too. So when they don't end up here, they don't want to make it seem like we missed on a guy. So occasionally that will happen, too. Um, yeah. So stay tuned. The visitor list will come at some point, but it might not be, uh, you know, tomorrow. It might be, you know, Saturday or Sunday. Yep. So... We'll see. Um, more recruiting news. Rutgers Wrestling picked up a big-time commitment. Uh, we can't say the name yet because they have not announced it, but this is Correct. one of the highest-ranked recruits Rutgers has landed in recent memory. Um, I will say that. Um, is there anything else you want to bring up on him? No, I'm trying to see if... Uh... Waiting for him to commit, like it, it's so it, it's for recruiting specifically, like not just wrestling, but any any um, what do you call it? Any recruit in any sport, you don't want to ruin their moment. You want them to let them have their moment. It's their once in a lifetime thing, like ever that they're probably going to do. Well, maybe not this kid because he did it twice now. Um, so there's there's your hint there. Um, but uh. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you kind of want these kids to just have their moments, so we're not going to post anything until he does. Um, but but it is a very big commit. It's a notable commit. It's um, someone that's one of the top-ranked uh, wrestlers in his weight class. Um, and, and this is good for Rutgers, too, because you're not only... Hold on, where's the... I had this whole stat thing from Lex. So... In their weight classes, they've now landed um, a top five kid, top five kid, a top five kid, a top eight kid, a top eleven kid, top seventeen kid. Like that—that's pretty damn good for a, a Rutgers recruiting class. 
Yep. Um, and and they're pretty good this season too. They're they're doing a solid start to the season. We'll see how it ends, but they have a pretty good roster from from head to toe this year, and they're they're going to make some noise. And I think that's going to help things with uh, in terms of recruiting. You're already seeing the impact now. Uh, they're seven and one in uh, dual meets, but they're only lost to to Virginia Tech, who's one of the better teams too. So, pretty good year to start the pretty good start to the season for Rutgers wrestling. Pretty good start to the recruiting class for next year's Rutgers wrestling. So, um, for, there was a lot of concern going into the season between recruiting between uh, the team in general, and it looks like they're starting to turn things around. Yeah, um, they they had two big wins. Uh, this weekend against a, a ranked Penn team, they took yep. care of business there. They beat uh, rival program Ryder pretty soundly. Yes. Um, Dean Peterson got upset, but uh, I think that was in part due to him still having lingering uh, effects from a knee injury. Mm-hmm. And the Big Ten season starts on Friday, I believe, for the wrestling program against Indiana. Yes. Indiana. Uh, so this is kind of where the rubber meets the road in terms of uh, in terms it's a good of Indiana team too. It's a good Indiana team, yet better than they have been in recent memory. So, yeah, this is where the season starts to get tough. Yeah, number twenty-one currently in the team rankings, but Indiana. Um, I mean, pray for them. They have a hell of a weekend between Rutgers on Friday oh, yeah. and Penn State on Sunday. Yep. <clears throat> um, that's on BTM Plus, by the way. Uh, yep. Good point. Because sometimes it's pretty hard to find the uh, where, where teams are playing, especially last night. I thought I was going crazy, and then I was like, oh, yeah, we were on Peacock. I forgot about this. I, yeah. Honestly, I I don't understand why BTM Plus is still a thing. Just put it all on Peacock. Like, I just mm-hmm. drives me a little bonkers. But that's besides the point. Yep. Neither here nor there. Uh, all right, guys. Uh, that's kind of all I got. Rich, is there anything you want to close on, or you- um, linebackers coach is, uh, we're still waiting to hear some stuff on that. Um, <clears throat> I'd be interested to see like what happens there. There's a couple names. I think I sent you yesterday. Um, I've, I've literally been looking at every single coach possible, like, <laughs> like around the local area specifically too. Been looking at linebackers coach, defensive coordinators at every level of the game, whether it be power five, G five FCS. Um, because technically Corey Heatherman was an FCS coordinator that they hired. Yeah, yeah. At the time, even though James Madison made the leap the next, the very next year. And James Madison's at a different level in FCS too. So take that into consideration. Um, some of the names I've obviously thrown out already. Uh, I do think Charlie Noonan has a really good shot. I think Jerry, uh, it's uh, Kite, Kite, it was Kite. I looked it up yesterday or found out yesterday, <laughs> I should say. Um, he's a name I'm really keeping a close eye on. Um, for those of you that want Chris Partridge, it's no, it's just not happening. So get that one out of your head. Uh, where are the names I sent you? Oh yeah, um, the Delaware defensive coordinator. I was really intrigued by he's um, defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach Manny Rojas is his name. Um, he's someone. Where the hell did he work? He worked somewhere that had a connection to Rutgers. I forget what it was. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. I forget. I can't find it anymore. Um, but he's been at Delaware for quite some time. He coached Richmond linebackers. And I believe he coached alongside Ross Douglas at the time. Okay. So technically that's not a Rutgers connection. It's not a Shiano connection, but <clears throat> he's done this before with Mark Orphy. Mark Orphy worked with Chase Dodd down in South Carolina. 
Mark Orphy knew Chase Dodd's father, who gave a recommendation to Greg and was at Alabama at the time and now is at Rutgers. So <clears throat> there are some connections there, technically. Um, from what I was told is that this job has already had a lot of people reach out. Um, so it's definitely something to monitor. That shouldn't be really shocking. It's a Big Ten assistant coaching job that pays paid 400 k last year. It's pretty damn good for an assistant coach to start with yep. anyway. Yep. Not saying they're going to throw that exact money at someone. It could. It's not crazy. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think this is just a, definitely going to be an interesting hire because you have a couple of routes you can go. You can go to Charlie Noonan, who's already been with the room. Go with Jarrett Kite, who's already been with the team and been as an assistant coach this past season at D-line, who you might need to hire D-line coach, too. Uh, we we kind of don't mention enough. Um, and Or you go the other route and bring someone new in. Tell these young up and comers like, hey, you still gotta wait your turn. You gotta wait another year or two, which is fine, but I mean if if a big name wants to come in, it's hard to say no. So Yeah, it's a good point. Um <clears throat> last but I, I wanna touch one more thing on this before we sign off. Everyone's saying like, hey, we need a recruiter, we need a recruiter, we need a recruiter. You don't need a recruiter at this position specifically, in my opinion. I think Heatherman was a good talent developer. I think he was an average to slightly above average recruiter. I think that's what you need. You need a guy that can develop talent at the linebacker spot, especially when you have, especially on most of the defense, because most your recruiters, for the most part, your top recruiters are going to be like your wide receivers coach, your tight ends coach, and your DBs coach. You, mm-hmm. you obviously have others like Marquis Watson's a great recruiter at defensive uh, defensive line. Uh, Harris Simmons is a great recruiter for a coordinator, which is kind of unheard of for a defensive coordinator for the most part. Um, Demir Shaw is a great recruiter, wide receivers, then running backs. But I think there's enough recruiters on this staff that you can go out and get a player development guy that's going to help you. And we've seen Greg do that last year specifically. Dave Brock like might not be known as a recruiter, but he's a great talent developer. Kirk Sharaka, you can argue, is a, a decent recruiter, but he has a good eye for talent, and he's a great talent developer. Um, Pat Flaherty, no offense to the guy, but he doesn't even recruit. Like He's a great <laughs> talent developer. They have Scott Vallone on the road recruiting for him basically, essentially. Him and Noonan are kind of splitting things. But yeah, I don't think you, everyone that wants this crazy good recruiter, I don't think you're going to get that sexy recruiting hire. I think you're going to get a good talent developer and a guy that knows linebackers more than anything. Similar to a Corey Heatherman type. And I think that's the perfect mold for a linebackers coach, to be honest with you. Yeah, and we'll see if they can land, catch lightning in a bottle again, because he was uh, was a long-time Harris Simiak assistant and yeah we're kind of lucky to have him um there's not many other aces in the sleeve i don't know if we have currently um yeah, they, they, got one ex- they don't need more <laughs> exactly <laughs> different program but yeah yeah no, um i'm just throwing out there but we will see how things go um i think shiano has never had a strong or not in recent memory at least a stronger uh pitch that he could sell to prospective uh assistants so we will see how things go but yeah. we want to thank you all once again for listening. This has been another edition of the Nerdcore Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.